Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with me, Tian Wei. The annual meeting of the World Economic Forum wrapped up last week. On the sideline of the meeting, I talked to Bill Gates, the co-chair of the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation. He seeks to fix the world's most pressing problems, such as global health systems, the growing gap between the rich and the poor. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has been dedicated to narrowing the gap in healthcare and more, for a more equitable world. Let's listen to our conversation. I tend to see China's rise as a huge win for the world. The man who said this is Bill Gates, the co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. On site of the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum in Davos, I had a sit-down conversation with him, mainly for ideas and inspiration to resolve the current impasse. But you know what? Before that, I consulted ChatGPT for answer to this question. Here's what I got. Well, that's the ChatGPT answer. But I really wondered how Bill Gates would answer the same question. Can we navigate this year? It's challenging. You know, as you have various wars breaking out, people take different positions. Elections going on. Uh, Elections, a lot of, you know, tough talk may come out of that, but I'm hopeful. Though in his answer, Bill used the word hopeful. I still wonder at a time of increasing division and rising animosities, hope and trust has become increasingly rare and precious. So how to rebuild them? What did we do right and what did we do wrong? The meeting this time about trust. We know that is the toughest issue, rebuilding trust. Well, we're, we're working on common goals and all the rich countries, but particularly uh, China and the U.S., have a lot to bring to that. You know, big R&D budgets uh, and ways they can help in areas like climate. So both countries really have both a responsibility and an opportunity to contribute to that. So dialogue's important. Significance of dialogue is reflected through some crucial exchanges he had with China, like this one when he visited China and met with Chinese President Xi Jinping. It was on that occasion President Xi emphasized that people are the foundation of U.S.-China relationship. Twenty twenty four marks the forty fifth anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic relations between China and the US. Today, China's role in the world is certainly different from back in the nineteen seventies. I tend to see uh, China's rise as a huge win for the world. I mean, that's twenty percent of humanity. They today match their portion of the global economy and these middle-income countries, including uh, China and India, need to play a stronger role in world governance. As soon as I could, uh, went, went back to China and, and spoke to uh, not just President Xi, but all our, our partners there. And so as, as that kind of discussion resumes, I'm hopeful that we'll have more of the win-win type engagement. Well, the China in 1980 uh, was, uh, poorer actually than India. 
And so both in China itself and the, and the world benefiting from China, you know, we were at a low point. Today, China's making you know, inexpensive products that benefit the world. The health statistics in China have improved very uh, dramatically. So, you know, there's a lot of win-win things, uh, whether it's between Gates Foundation and China, or even uh, China and other countries. You know, the U.S.? Oh yeah, including the U.S., uh -huh. you know, working together on climate innovation, all of these different health challenges. The more the relationship can be about the win-win, you know, I think the better off we all are. Practice what you preach. The Gates Foundation recently announced its largest annual budget ever, 8.6 billion in the year 2024, to save and improve lives. We can't talk about the future of humanity without talking about the future of health, said Bill Gates. During the interview with me, he opened up his backpack and took out this small box to show me the latest innovation in health. I know you've been carrying the backpack with you throughout the day. Is it heavy? Oh, no. It's yeah? uh, just showing people some of the great new tools, very low-cost tools that can improve health, particularly in, in poor countries. Mm. Well, the first one here is a vaccine. Uh, this is called HPV vaccine. These are made in China, India, and the U.S. Uh, with partners. We're getting the cost down, and we've proven that a single dose can protect women from cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. So this one's uh, kind of uh, amazing because historically, only in rich countries would you get this ultrasound scan. The machine was expensive, and training the technician was expensive. Mm -hmm. Now, by using very cheap hardware and AI software, we can take a woman who's pregnant and see, and that can save almost half of the lives if you know in advance mm -hmm. who needs the special treatment. So it's a wonderful example of uh, advanced AI, but on behalf of equity. Exactly. AI is one of the fastest driving force for change. So what's the relations gonna be between AI and human? When you look at the next two years, what do you think some of the key milestones will be? Multimodality will definitely be important. We launched images and audio, and it had a much stronger response than we expected. We'll be able to push that much further, but maybe the most important areas of progress will be around reasoning ability. Customizability and personalization will also be very important. The ability to know about you, your email, your calendar, how you like appointments booked, connected to other outside data sources, all of that. Those will be some of the most important areas of improvement. In 2023, Bill Gates became a grandparent. He wrote about how the prospect of becoming a grandparent made him reflect on the world that his granddaughter will be born into. Now he's thinking more, he said, about the world she will inherit and what it will be like decades from now when her generation is in charge. Now we are at the beginning of the year 2024, breaking down barriers, rebuilding trust, and moving forward, hopefully together. Standing in the Alps, watching the sunrise, I'm grateful. Progress is truly possible and happens every day. That's my latest conversation with Bill Gates.
the chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on the sideline of the World Economic Forum earlier in Davos. China and Pakistan share a long-standing friendship that dates back to the early 1950s. The two countries enjoy a unique friendship as all-weather strategic cooperative partners. The ironclad ties have been further strengthened through Belt and Road cooperation. On the relations and much more, I had an exclusive interview with Pakistani Prime Minister on the sideline of the World Economic Forum last week. He shared insights on the partnership and the cooperation between the two countries and his views about regional and global peace. Take a listen. Mr. Prime Minister, what a pleasure to see you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I understand Pakistan has been working very hard to revive the economy, but still have challenges. Now, what do you think are the priorities for your cabinet? Uh, first of all, uh, yes, the economic revival is on the agenda. The transformation on the, of technology is under discussion. And these are uh, the two major factors which is impacting all kind of economic activity around the globe and particularly in our region. Uh, there is a discourse between the uh, global north and south, between east and west. Uh, there are issues about the uh, different conflicts and different flashpoints and how does it is impacting the uh, supply chain and overall economic activity. Mm -hmm. Pakistan uh, do see itself in this environment how to take the best advantage of mm -hmm. the opportunities which are being offered and what are the challenges which are being posed uh, by such circumstances and how to respond to those challenges. So we are in the middle ground of both ways. Mm. Financial challenges is one of the things uh, some governments are dealing with. I know you are also working very hard on that. What do you think can be the starting point? Uh, in other words, the best remedy? Well, uh, domestically, we need to focus on, on spending less and earning more. When the government size is not that big, it's a good news. Uh, smart government, efficient government, a little government is always good for the business. And more revenue generation, uh, good taxation system, structural reforms and that, uh, this is one area in which I think so should be on the top of the a domestic economic agenda of revivalism. And then taking opportunity, uh, what is being offered in the region, uh, in the manner that the BRI is offering under the leadership of President Xi. This is another area which Pakistan should be very focused and is focused to take full advantage of that. The relocation of industry from the China, it is going towards Southeast Asia, South Asia, many parts of South America, Pakistan should take best advantage of that and convert itself into a viable economic entity and, and the manufacturing sector can become a hub uh, for the whole of the region if we bring the right kind of policies when it comes to the energy and its yeah. pricing and, and the rest of the uh, associated ecosystem. The right kind of policy, that's a very general term. I would love to dig a little bit more about that. To you, what is the so-called right kind of policies? By right kind of policy, I mean that we have to encourage uh, the business in a competitive manner, provide them the competitive rates for electricity. If we are producing 
uh, expensive electricity, we cannot subsidize businesses. We cannot provide them uh, the, the rates which are more competitive in the region for the production cost. Mm -hmm. So this is one area I feel is the most important where we need to rationalize our policy and bring the, uh, the market rate to a level where the industry becomes more competitive. We have got the cheap labor, we have got the right kind of the skill. So once we introduce the right energy policy, we would be, uh, I'm pretty much sure, in a position to become a manufacturing hub in the region. The right kind of the energy policy is that you give electricity per unit, which is in competition with India, with Bangladesh, with Sri Lanka, and under more or less under eight cent per unit. Timeline for that? Uh, sooner the better. <laughs> but but industrialization is is one of the area where. We are focusing on special yeah. economic zones yes. and bringing all these policies where the FDI would directly invest, uh, uh, take advantage from, from such kind of, of interventions from the government side. And we should only uh, do the progressive taxation of those business entities yeah. and let them grow. You mentioned about the Belgium Road Initiative last year celebrated already the 10th anniversary. We also see a transition about the areas and the ways of doing things regarding BRI. Earlier there was massive investment on infrastructure, different parts of the world. Now there seems to be more focus and targeted with green development and sustainability. So what does that mean for the kind of cooperation between China and Pakistan as a result of the focus and the style changes? I think so. There, there are many opportunities when it comes to all these initiatives um, uh, under these sustainable and green initiatives and the kind of opportunities it is offering, uh, which I was referring to as the relocation of the industry, um, the climate change and its uh, global responsibility, uh, production of clean energy and for, for the consumption, best consumption practices for the populations. This would be an area where innovation would be countered, where new technologies would come in, and where... And also massive investment, by the way. Of course, massive investment, which definitely China has got the capacity to cater for such investments, along with its partners. But Pakistan is a mid-sized uh, country which can benefit a lot from this. As they say it in China, that when China grows, everyone grows. So when China benefits, everyone benefits. Mm -hmm. The Chinese model, the best part about that is that it believes in economic intervention, it believes in the win-win situation, it believes in mutual coordination and cooperation. Mm -hmm. So when you have such an attitude, uh, the creativity comes. Uh, the new solution-based approaches develops and the human journey, I think so it is, uh, it goes further. Mm. Mr. Prime Minister, uh, it's uh, very uh, articulative when you say when China grow, everybody could also have an opportunity to grow. But as you also have noticed, Mr. Prime Minister, as uh, earlier uh, articulated by the Chinese Premier during this speech then, um, that China also is now looking at the future growth. So you see China is also trying to think about new ways, but not necessarily having all the answers. So there was earlier thoughts about the so-called China model. Now uh, 
many things are changing all at the same time. How do you see uh, China is trying to still rediscovering as they go along what is the best practices? What does that mean for developing countries, emerging economies, Pakistan always, of course, included? Uh, well, uh, to countries like us and, and uh, the people who are residing uh, outside uh, the Chinese society. Uh, this approach where, where there are no answers, but there are still questions, is so encouraging that the engagement is the basic principle. Mm -hmm. The people are open to listen to different kinds of answers. They are exploring, they are searching, and that's how the entire universe uh, can unfold its own mysteries and secrets. Mm -hmm. The challenge becomes or the issue becomes when there is an attitude of frigidity, that, is, that there is a fixation, that a typical kind of political system or economic system would give the entire answers for all the panacea of the world. That becomes part of the problem. Mm -hmm. But if you are open to ideas, if you are open to discussions and, and you are willing to give opportunity to different kind of solutions which are available in the market. Mm -hmm. That leads toward the healthy discourse and, and that's where I think so the Chinese approach uh, will be more viable and more constructive and more engaging. Mr. Prime Minister, one of the issues Pakistan, China and many others are thinking is what about this divide between the so-called North and the Global South? And we see that it's ever widening as a result of the pandemic and other issues happening, especially recently with the development of artificial intelligence. Some believe it could be in the next industrial revolution. Well, that's a question mark, but still the concern is big. How are you articulating what we are experiencing right now? Well, the issue or the divide between the so-called North and South is that there is certain economic advantages to the individuals and nations and there are certain disadvantages to the individuals and nations on the other side. So how do that gap can be well addressed? It is leading towards anxiety, one. It is uh, encouraging probably disruption in many societies. And on the top, you have got these new technology, which either is enabling the social order or it is encouraging the disruption or leading towards the anarchy, starting from the digital space and then the electronic spaces to AI. This is a journey which has taken so swiftly that many leadership, be it in South or in the North, are very, uh, it's very, very challenging for them to fathom the implications of all these changes which are happening. Would it lead to mass migration? Would it lead to further conflicts mm -hmm. based either on identity or on the basis of, of have and have nots? Can that kind of sense of deprivation lead to conflicts? Mm -hmm. So these are, are all challenges which needs to be addressed and for a mutual coexistence between the so-called South and North. Uh, further needs dialogue, further needs discussion, with an open mind and open heart where a planet is available for everyone, be it west, south, north, east, where peacefully everyone can reside with a dignified sense of being.
Of course, we're not living in a perfect world, as you know, Mr. Prime Minister. Uh, geopolitics, geoeconomics, all these backdrops are all intertwining at this moment when we speak. So is that the kind of discussion do you think can take place at all? Uh, the discussions are already happening. Uh, the discussions are already happening in a very focused, limited intellectual groups, mm. uh, policymaker groups, uh, political class, business leaders. But in my opinion, it should have an outreach which is enlarged. It, it should be at the en um, mass level, at public level, uh, in public domain. Mm -hmm. And that discourse needs to be an informed discourse where the quality information is pumped in and that quality information can build around all the narratives mm -hmm. which is required so that people on both sides can make their choices with, with the moral encompass. When it comes to politics these days, a lot of people are asking the question, whether are we just hearing narratives and rhetorics in politics? Are there really going to be actions uh, towards the promises? Uh, what do you think, Mr. Prime Minister, uh, for politicians and for future of politics, what is the best way to do that? How can we wake people up about implementations and actions? Yeah. Uh, first of all, in my opinion, that in the first phase, you need to create the right kind of narrative, the right kind of information, the quality information. If you don't do that, and if uh, you rely on a skewed information, on a distorted information, disinformation, or disinformation, and you build a narrative, which is not based around reality. So even if that is a stated goal, uh, the action towards that stated goal would always be an unattainable goal. So it is better first to phase it out, plan it properly, bring a narrative which is based on informed discourse and quality information. And once you do that, the implementation part, the action part, relatively becomes very easy. Mm -hmm. Now, we have so many examples about the challenges of doing that. Um, I know China and Pakistan are working very closely, for example, as you said, Mr. Prime Minister, on Belt and Road Initiative. But there, at different times, there are always challenges coming up as to the implementation. You earlier articulated that very well in different interviews. So how do you see now which states are we in implementing some of the earlier plans? And what are some of the takeaways you have along the way? Uh, we have already achieved a phase of PRI, yes. that is the CPAC's first uh, phase, and we are benefiting from all those early harvest projects. Mm -hmm. The second phase, I feel we are entering into that, and uh, we do need to do more deliberation when it comes to the second phase and the connectivity around those trade and industrialization uh, event which we anticipate would be a big hallmark of the next decade, the coming decade, needs good deliberations, more deliberation prior to, to bringing anything into the action. And the both sides are engaged. We, are, we have developed a lot of our connectivity, road, air, uh, and the rest of the connectivity corridors. So we are benefiting from that whole echo system of, of doing trade mm -hmm. uh, with one another and other regional players coming over there 
and having interconnected trade activity over there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of debates about China's economy that is also taking place in the corridors and the hallways as we see business leaders from all over the world are talking about that. What do you think is the state of the Chinese economy as a close neighbor of China, as someone who interacts with China on a very frequent basis, and the logic behind it? Well, to me, uh, the Chinese economy, I'm always sanguine about it. I'm always sanguine about it. The reason or the logic behind it, that there are 1.5 billion consumers and there are 1.5 billion producers. So they're importers in terms of economy. They're consuming. So the rest of the world would be linked to China. And that's my exclusive interview with Pakistani Prime Minister on the sideline of the World Economic Forum last week. That's all the time we have for today. If you'd like to know more, search World Insight. Check out our YouTube channel. Follow us on X and Facebook. I'm Tian Wei. On behalf of the team, thanks for being with us. And I'll see you back here tomorrow.